We are continuing our series called Top 10, and we've made it to number 10, okay? We made it to number 10, um, and it's found in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything. <laughs> That's his name. Like, what's the point of listing all that out and then just saying anything? I think it was just an extra little measure to say, do not covet. Now, normally I like to kind of build up before I get into the points that I'm going to share, but I'm just going to jump right in to point number one, which is this. Point number one, what is coveting? What is coveting? So if, if it says, do not do this, as the last of the Ten Commandments, what is coveting? And to, to look at this, I want to look at a story that you may not associate with this topic. And what's interesting about this story, it's in Mark chapter 14. And Mark does something very interesting. He starts off with the start of this story. And then in verse 10 and 11, he kind of wraps up the subject or the, the thought of the story. But in between, he sandwiches almost like a flashback into the story. It seems totally out of place. It's like he sandwiches. How many of you guys have ever been familiar with like the sandwich con concept when it comes to complimenting somebody or dealing with a to topic, right? Okay, so here's kind of how it goes. You like, if you have something difficult to say to somebody, you basically, you'll start off with something encouraging or a compliment. Then you'll say whatever you got to say. And then you come back with something encouraging so that they leave like feeling like, okay, you know, I feel better about myself in the end. We, uh, a few years ago, my son, Sean, he was trying to, he, you know, end our conversation. He said, you know, we need to try more of this sandwich stuff because we we always just kind of say whatever we're going to say and so my daughter um, Lindsay she was a lot younger and and she was like she wanted to try to do this and so she was like let me try this and so she would say something like uh, okay um, I really like your hair and then she would say something really awful about people and then she'd come back but I really like your hair I don't know if you get what we're trying to say here, um, but Mark does this sandwich method. And the reason why he sandwiches this story in between a story is because it's connected, but it doesn't seem like it's connected. And so the story that's sandwiched in between is a story about Mary. And, and, and so we'll get to that. We'll get to that in the end. But I, I want to just, I just want to place that, that marker there because we're going to get there because it is connected. All right. So let's look at this. What is coveting? Mark chapter 14, verse 1 and 2. It says, it was now two days before the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. And so everybody's in town. There's a big party. All that type of stuff's going on. A big festival. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, that, how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Then the sandwich flashback story happens, which we'll get to. And then it skips down to what kind of is the conclusion of this little part. In verse 10, it says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and they promised to give him money. We know it's 30 pieces of silver. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So... We have this story of the chief priest trying to find an opportunity to betray him. Sandwich story in the middle. Judas goes and he says, I'll do that. And he wants to do it for 30 pieces of silver. Why would Judas do this? I mean, because Judas is, is a Christ follower, right? I mean, we, we see that. I mean, at least it looks like it. I mean, it looks like he's a follower of Jesus. He was selected by Jesus himself to be one of the, the disciples, 
Jesus went to him just like Peter and all these other guys, and he went up and he said, follow me. He was selected just like one of the other disciples. So he seems like he's a, a Christian. He performed miracles with the other disciples. He was there at the feeding of the 5,000, just like the other disciples. He was there through casting out demons. Like everything you would think, he's right there with Jesus alongside of it. In fact, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus calls Judas an apostle. So, I mean, he's got all the earmarks of everything, of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Everyone thought that he was a follower of Jesus. And then there comes this moment where it turns out it seems like he was more interested in something else. He had some other motive going on. So he looked like a disciple. So what happened? Well, I believe here's what happened, and, and we have to catch this. Something became more valuable to Judas than Jesus. For him, it was 30 pieces of silver. But this is the topic that we have to wrestle with when it comes to this topic. Because what coveting is, is when something becomes more valuable to us, than the Jesus way, or following after Jesus. And, and in fact, we know exactly what coveting is. If we ask the question, what is coveting? The New Testament defines coveting for us. But it's really interesting how it defines coveting because it ties back into one of the other commandments. So it's kind of surprising. Watch this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. tells us exactly the definition of coveting. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Here it is. Which is what? Idolatry. Well, I thought we already dealt with this one. What's interesting about coveting is that it's idolatry, but it's not just making an idol. It's very specific. It's making an idol out of something that someone else has. That's what coveting is. Something that you don't have yet. Now, sometimes when you make an idol out of something, it could be something in your possession already. It could be something that, you know, God has blessed you with, and then you turn it into some sort. Now you've become a worshiper of that. This is very specific, making an idol out of something you don't have. Now, if you think that's just one uh, part in Scripture where it says that, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. It says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or here it is again, is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of, of Christ and God. Takes it even further, has no place. So it gets even stronger language. But it still says the same thing, that, that coveting is idolatry. It's specifically making an idol out of something that someone else has or that someone else is doing. Which leads us to point number two, which is this, that coveting is the result of comparison. You, you cannot covet unless you first compare because you have to look at what someone else has before you can desire it, before it becomes an idol, before it becomes coveting. And so I want to look. I said there's a story about Mary. Before we get to that story, I want to look at another story of Mary. So not to confuse us, but there, uh, to con not to confuse us even further, there are several Marys in the Bible. So sometimes you can get really confused at what Mary is being talked about. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's Mary Magdalene. There's Mary, the mother of John Mark. There's, there's all kinds of Marys in Scripture. This Mary that is in the two stories we're going to be looking at today is what we would call Mary of Bethany. This, this Mary is uh, Martha's sister and Lazarus' sister. You remember Lazarus was raised from the dead. But what's interesting about this Mary and Martha and Lazarus is that they were actually considered Jesus' friends. Now, we all want to say we're friends of Jesus. These are the people who Jesus, when he was walking around on this earth, he just liked to hang around. 
he would go and just hang around because he just liked them as friends. That's kind of a, an interesting category to be put in. But there's a, a certain story where Jesus comes to visit his friends. And there's kind of a party going on in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Very famous passage of scripture. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, what's interesting about this is that's a picture of what a disciple does. You know, they would sit at the feet of the rabbi and they would do this. So this is what Mary's doing. And it says, she sat at the Lord's feet, listening to, listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. How many of you guys have ever done that as a kid? It's like, I'm cleaning up everything. Go, Dad, tell him to help, you know? I, you can just imagine that Martha might be being pretty loud in the kitchen, banging some pots or pans just so everyone knows that she's, you guys haven't done that before, right? Everyone knows that, hey, I'm doing all the work here. And she goes and she points a finger at Jesus and says, Jesus, it's not fair. What you're allowing her to do is not right. It's not fair. It's not even. It's not what I'm getting to do. Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So here we have comparison as a start where she begins to look at her sister and says, look what she gets to do that I don't get to do. Tell her to come and to help me. And so coveting is a result of comparison. When we start to look at other people's lives and other people, what they are allowed to do, what God seems to put in their life, what God seems to do. So I want to do something different. I didn't do this last night, but as I was praying this morning, I felt like we should do this. And what I want to do right now is I want uh, Pastor Aaron to come back up. And I want us to have a moment where we just prepare our hearts. Prepare our hearts. Because sometimes we can be hanging on to things so tightly that we don't even understand how tightly we're hanging on to them. And so I want to give us just a moment right here before we go any further. That They're going to sing this song. And you can just sit where you're at. You might even have you close your eyes or whatever you need to do to kind of zero in and to give yourself uh, some sort of um, opportunity for reflection. But I want you just to listen to this almost as a, see if this could be your prayer today. Like let's prepare the soil of our heart before we go any further. And let's tune in our heart towards Jesus. And let, let's, let's just imagine for a moment that we're sitting at the feet of Jesus. Because listen, there's a temptation right now for us to be busy about doing all these other things. There's a temptation for us to, um, to be pointing a finger and saying, well, why, what, you know, this makes sense for me to do this. But Jesus is inviting us simply to come and sit at his feet, to lay everything at his feet. And so let's take just a moment and let's prepare our heart to hear what we're going to hear next. Let's, let's listen. My heart in pure 
Because there are things that try to steal our heart away from that attitude. So I feel like it's appropriate for us to cultivate the ground before we hear what's next. Because um, what's next is kind of, listen, it's one of the hardest things for us to do is to open up our hands to when there's something we think is okay for us to hang on to. Okay? 
It's one of the hardest things. Let's go ahead and hit the lights again a little bit so we can, um, so I can see everybody. <laughs> see if everybody left or not after, you know, get done preaching. But um, there are some things for us that are, we're, we're tempted to covet. And again, it's making an idol out of things that are other people's. Uh, so let me just give you some of the things that are pretty basic that are listed in that scripture. Uh, one is just other people's stuff. Come on, every single person here has been tempted. We look at someone else's stuff and we're like, man, why don't I get that? Why didn't I get that extra paycheck, you know, raise? Why didn't I get, why don't I have that? And there's all this temptation for us to covet after other people's stuff. We see all the stuff that everyone else has. How many of you guys have seen this before? Like there's a kid that's playing in their room. They're playing with a toy. A friend comes over and uh, looks around for a toy to play with that the other kid isn't playing with, starts playing with a different toy. The first kid then looks at the second kid and says, that's mine, takes the toy from the kid and says, I was playing with that. How many of you guys have ever watched that happen? Maybe with your own kids before, right? You're like, what's the deal? Well, the deal is they didn't want it until the other kid had it. This is what coveting is. Coveting, let me ask you a different way. I wonder how many things we would want in life if we hadn't seen someone else have it first. I mean, think about all the things that you've desired or tried to acquire in life. And be honest with yourself for just a moment if it wasn't triggered because you saw someone else had it. I think our desires would actually be fairly small because God, you know, he, listen, God puts goals and desires and dreams and vision in your heart and he wants to do that. But, but honestly, if we're honest, there's so many things that we're going after in life that is simply because we're looking at our neighbor, we're looking at someone else and they have it and so we want it. And it's not even a bad thing. It's just how many things are we triggered to go after simply because someone else had it first? All right, so we're, you know, people's stuff that's listed in that scripture, or uh, what about relationships? You know, talk about do not covet someone else's wife, or, you know, we could talk about lust or something here, or we could just talk about coveting other people's relationships. How many times have you looked at somebody else's kid, maybe somebody's done this before and said, well, yeah, I mean, of course they don't have issues with their kids. They, they got a good batch, you know, and I got a bad batch, and God doesn't take returns. And so, you know, and so we look at their kids and we're like, you know, I, of course, you know. Uh, we can covet other people's relationships. Um, but there was an interesting study about where our focus is, because that's really what coveting is, is where our eyes are, if they're on what God has for us or someone else. Um, There's an interesting, interesting study out of Florida State University. They took 500 newlyweds, and they wanted to do a test with them. And so what they did is they had them sit in front of a computer screen, and they would put an attractive face up on the screen, and followed by either a square or a circle, and they had a button, they had to figure out which one to push, like if it was a, so they had an attractive face, it would disappear, then a square or a circle would pop up and they would have to push whether it was a square or a circle. Uh, the issue was that the, the placement would rotate, and so they never knew where the square or the circle would be next or the pictures would be. What they were doing is they were timing the amount of time it took people to look away from the attractive picture after it was gone. And what they found was, and so three years later, they had everybody continue to report back and to, uh, you know, report how their relationship was going and if there was any, you know, if they were still together. And they found some shocking results. So it shouldn't be that shocking, but it was that those who took longer to look away, that they had a higher divorce rate, a higher chance of cheating, right? So that kind of makes sense to us, right? That they took a longer time to look away. But what's shocking is the amount of time that they figured out to an accurate degree of what they could predict. 
And it was this, that basically it, those who took a tenth of a second longer to look away, it increased their odds of cheating by 50%. So you could look at that in reverse. If you can look away from temptation a tenth of a second faster, you, you have decreased your chances by 50%. That's pretty crazy, right? I mean, I, I didn't run the test. That's just what they said, okay? So... But it's important, it just illustrates that where we're looking is so important. Where we're looking is so important. And so we, we're tempted to look at other people's stuff, tempted to look at other people's relationships. Let me give you another one that we're tempted to look at that maybe you don't think of when it comes to coveting. Other people's timeline. We look at where they're at in life. And then we compare to where we're at in life. And then we think, well, maybe I should be a little bit further in life. So we begin to look and say, well, listen, as a pastor, I've done this over and over again. I'll just be real with you. I'll look at our timeline as a church and, and ministry, and then I'll look at somebody else, and I'll say, you know, I, I, we should probably have more people saved this year than what we do. We should baptize more people. We should be expanding more. I, I fall into this trap just like anybody else does. Because you look and you compare, and you look at other people's timeline. But, but the, the truth is, I mean, God will give you goals. God will give you dreams. He will give you visions. But the thing is, if you're following after goals, dreams, and visions that are someone else's timeline, you're following after the wrong one. You might end up, as they say, you know, getting up at the end of your life, climbing the ladder of success, finding out that it's leaned up on the wrong building. Because you were leaning up on someone else's building, someone else's timeline, someone else's opportunities, and you tried to match your life to theirs. The, the truth is everyone has a plate size of what God has designed you to carry in this season. And sometimes if you try to carry what someone else is trying to carry, what they can carry with ease will break you. But the reverse is also true. Sometimes if we're looking at other people and we're measuring ourselves against them about where they're at and what they're doing and what their opportunities are, sometimes what they're carrying is way too small for what God has destined you to carry. And we've limited God based on looking at other people. And so we look at other people's timelines and we end up getting it wrong. We, we, uh, you know, we follow after something that is designed for someone else. It's not designed for us. Watch what happens in John chapter 21. If you'll remember, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And Jesus comes back and restores Peter three times by saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then Jesus begins to tell Peter something very important that seems like bad news. Okay? And what he's telling him is how he's going to die. <laughs> You guys think, that's bad news, right? That's bad news. But for Peter, it turns out it's actually good news. Because what Jesus is doing here is he's reminding Peter, he's, he's prophesying to Peter, that you denied me three times, I restored you three times, and here's the end. The end is that you aren't going to deny me, that you're actually going to be a martyr for me. So what seemed like bad news was actually confirmation that Peter was going to run his race to the end. And it says in John chapter 21, verse 18, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And it says this, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And tradition says that Peter was crucified. But as he was getting ready to be crucified, he asked if he could be crucified upside down so that he wouldn't be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. So Jesus was telling him, you're going to make it to the end. As painful as that is. 
And Peter kind of, he's wondering about this. And he, he says uh, in verse 20, he says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's John, the one who also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Isn't that our temptation, you know? When we get filled in on what, what God wants for us, we want to look around and say, how does that compare to everyone else? He says, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, watch this. This is what you need to get today. This is what we all need to get. He says, what is that to you? You follow me. Listen, we're tempted to look around at what God, the opportunities he's placed in other people's life, the timeline, the calling, whatever it is. I, I just want you to hear Jesus say to you for just a moment, what is that to you? You follow me. Listen, one of the reasons why um, we don't, that we were tempted to, to, to do this and to covet after other people's timelines and all this stu- type of stuff and to covet people's stuff, covet people's relationships. You know, I was thinking about this last night. You know, we could say it's selfishness. We could say it's greed. We could say it's self-centered. We could say, it lo- we could say a lot of things. But God was revealing to me last night that one of the reasons why we're tempted to covet is something that you may not have thought of, and it's shame. Because we feel shame that we should be further than where we are, that we should have more than what we do. And God wants to break that off our life. He wants to break that off our life. But it's important for us to look to Jesus. Our focus is so important. And so one of the ways I want to help us to see this is through an illustration. So I've recorded an illustration for us to help just think about this in a different way. So let's take a look. All right, I'm in our video room and I found this video camera. This video camera reminds me of, how many of you guys remember, you know, back in the day when these things looked like this, but they were like this big and you had to put them up on your shoulder and you had to like be weighed down and you'd have to look in the little viewfinder and squint your other eye just to see and the big old VHS tape that went in the, the side of it. And, and uh, we would, you know, carry these things around like a boom box in the 80s or something like that. Uh, so you had this viewfinder, and what the viewfinder did, when you squinted your eye, it eliminated all the peripherals so that you could see exactly what was going to be recorded on tape. And so you laser focus in. It wasn't capturing everything else. It was capturing exactly what was going to be on tape, and so that was telling you exactly what to focus on. In a similar way, uh, binoculars do the same thing. So like when you look at binoculars, like hunters, when they go out to hunt, they will look on the hillside and they'll do what's called glassing. And they will like glass to look for animals, to look for what they're hunting. And the reason why, obviously we use binoculars is because one, it eliminates all the peripheral. It tells us exactly what we're looking at. It focuses in, but binoculars take it a step further. They actually magnify what you're looking at. And so they're similar, but binoculars actually magnify. So you look at the viewfinder to see what's important. So I, I want to just kind of give us a silly example of what this is like. So as we're looking at other people, because this is what we do. We, a lot of times we'll look at other people. We'll look at other people's stuff. We'll look at other people's relationships. And it's as if we're looking in the viewfinder. It's like we don't see the whole picture. So you're wondering, like, why am I holding this Mountain Dew? Let me give you just a silly example. Let's say... You love Mountain Dew. How many of you guys love Mountain Dew? Some of you guys hate Mountain Dew. Some of you guys love Mountain Dew. All right, let's say you love Mountain Dew, but every time you go to the store, 
you can't find Mountain Dew anywhere. I mean, it's just not available. Every time you look, it's just out and you can't seem to get Mountain Dew. But then you look and you see that your friend has Mountain Dew. And oh man, the Mountain Dew just looks so awesome. And you're just like, man, why is it that they always get Mountain Dew? I can never find Mountain Dew. And so you start looking at the Mountain Dew and you're like, man, it just seems so easy for them. And then you, if you were to zoom out, because you've been looking at binoculars, you've been looking at it through a laser focus, you've been looking at it, not seeing the whole picture of what's happened in their life, and you look out, you'd see that they had to go through a, through a locked door, they had to knock down a fence, they had to climb up a kitty slide and steal it from a toddler just to get this Mountain Dew. And it wasn't that simple just to get the Mountain Dew. All right, guys, that's a simple, uh, silly illustration. We know we're not talking about Mountain Dew, we're not talking about kitty slides, we're talking about things in other people's lives. Sometimes we look at what other people have and we think it's, it's so simple. The truth is we don't have the whole picture. We don't know what it took for them to get where they got. So sometimes we'll look at somebody's relationship even and, and we'll look at their marriage. We'll look at their kids and, and we'll look at that and we'll think, man, if I could just have that. But the truth is, in the reverse side, we may not even want that because we're only seeing the good side. We're seeing the curated side. We're seeing the Facebook, Instagram side. We don't even know if we'd really want it if we had to take the whole package. So back to you know, the viewfinder and what we're putting on tape, you know, because the truth is that our focus is being recorded for eternity. This is our life that we're living right now. Our focus is limited. We are limiting our focus wherever we're able to look. And so our tape is being written. Our tape, our life is being recorded. And you, you might say, well, can God erase the tape? Of course, God can erase the parts of our life where we've been focused on the wrong things, where we've been going after the wrong things. But we have to invite him to do that. We have to invite him into those times to erase the tape. But let me give you another way to think about it that may be really, really challenging for us. What if God did erase the tape? What if God did erase every time we had a wrong focus, every time we were coveting, every time we were looking at someone else's race and he eliminated all that tape? How much would be left of our life where we had the right focus, where we were focused on Jesus? See, the truth is our focus, our viewfinder is important because what we're looking at, our options do get limited. Our focus is important and what we're looking at is magnified. The question is, are we looking at the right things? Because we obviously need to be looking to Jesus. Amen. That leads us to point number three. It's very simple. Are we following Jesus by looking around? or by looking to him. Because what we can do is we can start to follow Jesus by looking around to what other people are doing and say, well, that's how I need to follow Jesus or that's what I need to do next. Are we following Jesus by looking around or by looking to him? All right, so let's go back to the sandwich story that I started off with. Remember the sandwich story, Mark chapter 14, starts off with the Pharisees trying to find a way to kill Jesus. Sandwich story, and then Judas takes 30 pieces of silver. All right, so what happens in, the, in between? Well, Mary of Bethany is there in between. In Mark chapter 14, verse 3, it says, While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, we know this is Judas from other places, he says, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. So again, this story is here because it's connected to the other two passages of Scripture. It's connected. 
I want you to understand about this alabaster flask. A lot of people describe it in different ways. Some people say it was stone or a box or whatever, but a lot of people will say basically it was probably uh, kind of bulged out at the bottom to contain the, the perfume and then had a long neck and then sealed at the top to keep all of the smell inside because it would have been very, very potent. This says it was pure nard, so imagine like a perfume ingredient in concentrate form, okay? This is gonna be pretty potent stuff, okay? And just imagine if your perfume or cologne bottle was busted into your carpet or into your vehicle, your car. How many of you guys know it would take a long time to get that smell out, wouldn't it? I mean, it would be there for a long time. You could probably shampoo the carpets and it wouldn't come out for a long time. But this was pure concentrate. Some people say that the only place this would come from is from India. It was very, very valuable. So one denarii would be worth a day's wages of 12-hour work. So we can try to put an estimate of value on what's inside this container. I'm just going to throw out a number of $50,000. $50,000 in a bottle, sealed up, contained. It was very, very precious, very, very valuable. And what, she does something very interesting. She comes to Jesus and she breaks the neck off of this box. She breaks it open. What she's doing in that moment is... Basically, that's a point of no return. She's saying, I'm never going to put this back in this bottle again, and I'm going to use it all right now. Like, there was no more value when she broke it off, when there was no more putting, putting the perfume back in the bottle, putting the spices back in the bottle. It was, she was using it all in that moment. She was saying that she was all in, and she was communicating two things, at least two things. One thing that she was communicating is to Jesus, she was saying that, Everything I have is yours. My most valuable possessions is yours. And she was communicating a second thing to say that Jesus, you are of such, that, that you are worth this. You are worth, that you are worth more than this, but this is what I have and you're worth, you are valuable to me. Now what's interesting is the disciples decided, I want you to see this in the story, that they decided in their heart that Jesus wasn't worth $50,000. They said, why this waste? That $50,000 was a waste when poured out on Jesus. We don't know where their limit is, but we know it's at least $50,000 that they considered was now a waste to give to Jesus. Where's our line? <laughs> See, one thing that she was doing was she was also communicating that I'm willing to give this up and I don't compare now how, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care how my life now compares to those around me. Because I had this valuable thing, now I'm going to give this valuable thing to Jesus. Now compared to other people, I don't have as much. See, and here's what we have to understand about God. God is a percentage God. She had a very valuable thing, and the people next to her, I mean, may not have had anything anywhere close. I mean, this may have been a very rich family or whatever, the people next to her might not have had anything, but God is a percentage-based God. God requires the same percentage of every single person. It's 100%. So that's why God says to the woman, hey, watch what happens here. It says, Jesus starts to defend her. It says in verse 6, it says, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always are going to have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. And it says, she has done what she could. He wasn't saying you know, yeah, she did what she could. Wasn't a lot, but she did what she could. That's not what he was saying. Because he uses the same language about other people in Scripture. And, and you can just imagine the woman who was giving the, basically a penny in the offering. And Jesus is like, hey, she's giving her everything. See, God is a percentage-based God. 
So the woman who gave a penny was 100% in, and Mary had 50,000 worth of perfume. Now she's 100% in. God requires the same percentage. That's why tithing is the same, no matter if you're a billionaire or if you got $1 in your pocket. It's the same 10. God's a percentage-based God. He wants our 100%. So she was communicating that, God, you are valuable to me. And I'm willing to give whatever that I have. I don't care if it, if it now changes how I compare to other people. She was all in. She was all in. It says, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Now, whether she knew that she was doing this or not, the Holy Spirit moved on her heart to be the one to anoint Jesus before he went to the cross. And he goes on and he says that, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And here we are talking about it today, a couple thousand years later. Here's what I want you to see. Remember the sandwich story is connected. Judas, after this, or connected to this event, went to go betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. This implies to me, and just through a careful reading of Scripture, that this was a trigger event for Judas. That when Judas saw this, he wasn't really interested in Jesus. He was interested in money. And when he saw that this was going to be wasted and that the money wasn't going to be there, that this is how God treated those things and this is what God required of things, that he was triggered from this moment to go out and to get what he coveted, which was money. If he wasn't going to get it here, he was going to get it somewhere. And listen, what Judas coveted was manageable until it was finally exposed to be competing with Jesus. And here's what I want you to hear. What, what, we, what we covet is manageable until it's finally exposed that it's actually in competition with Jesus. And that's when you have a decision to make. Will you make a decision like Mary or will you make a decision like Judas? Will we run towards God with everything or will we then go after the very thing we covet and try to not listen to Jesus? Because this is, this is what the story is telling us. And many times the thing that's competing with Jesus' voice is by looking at what others are having and what others are doing. So here's my question for you. Am I looking at other people, other ways, other things? Or can I find my joy my satisfaction, my contentment in what Jesus has placed in front of me, regardless of what anyone else is doing. Can I do that? Do I have the courage? Do I have the faith? Do I have, do I have the willingness to surrender, to surrender to Jesus and to say, Jesus, whatever you want for my life, I, I'm going to let go of what's competing with you so that I can let you know that you complete everything I need in me just by following after you. How do you do this? You do this by returning back to our first love. You know, the Bible says go back to your first love. You know, one of the ways that we can do this, our, our ministry leaders were talking about, um, we have a little uh, group uh, chat thing that we're in that we encourage one another and just talk about things. And our ministry leaders, we, the subject of fasting was brought up. And we started talking about fasting a lot. And I, I've been a lot of fasts in my life. I've been on 21-day fast, 10-day fast, Daniel fast, no food fast. I've been on like every fast you can think of almost. And I fasted before every major decision I can think of in my life. Because what it does is, it, for me, here's what it does and what scripture teaches is, it's basically, it's letting go of something in the natural so that I can obtain something in the spirit. And it's not like, I, I, if I do this, God will do this for me. It's clearing away all distractions. Because your desires can be cloudy at times. And sometimes you have to strip everything else away 
Because what looks right to you now, sometimes if you just peel away some things and allow God to speak to you in a different way, all of a sudden something becomes clear. And you don't have to just fast food, by the way. You can fast anything. And you can fast, and here's my challenge. Fast anything that is competing with Jesus. Whatever you find that to be, whenever that is exposed, whether it's stuff, whether it's somebody else's relationships, whether it's somebody else's life, somebody else's timeline, the moment you find out that it's competing with Jesus in your heart in some way, shape, or form, fast. You should take some time away and say, you know, this may be for me, this may be a good thing, but I need to step away so I can have the, hear the heart of God for me, for my family, for my relationship. Fast, whatever. Stripping away everything else to bring a full focus. And I heard this a long time ago, many times when we go into a fast, we, we have this question for God many times. Have you ever done this? Go into a fast or a time of prayer like you want God to answer this question. And I heard this a long time ago that many times when we'll go into a fast, ask God a question, he won't give us the answer to the question we asked. He'll give us the answer to the question that we should have asked. Because as you get into it, you start to realize that maybe I came into it with some other baggage and I need to just open up my hand and my heart to God. So I want to have the worship team come back as, as they do. Um, I want to just remind you of this last scripture, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you put Jesus in your viewfinder, it says all these other things are going to be added. But when something else is in your viewfinder and you try to add Jesus, it won't work that way. But when Jesus is in your viewfinder and you're getting your information, you're getting your timeline, you're getting your opportunities, you're getting your information, you're getting your desires from Jesus, all of these other things begin to be added. Goals, dreams, visions are not bad. We just need to get them from God, not from somebody else. And when we do that, then we can walk in his ways. And so I, I just want to leave you with this thought. You look, if you're looking around at other people, here's a great opportunity for us to look back to Jesus. Because Jesus is saying, well, what is that to you? You follow me. Would you guys stand up with me and let's give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to reveal those things in our heart. Holy Spirit, we come to you right now. And we say, expose any thing that is competing with you. Expose any part of our heart where we've been looking at other people's stuff, other people's relationships, other people's timelines or opportunities. And we've discovered that we've been looking at the wrong picture. Because whatever picture you're looking at, it also is magnified. It looks better than what it is. Lord, we just want your desires. We want your desires. Place your desires in our heart so that we don't go seeking outside of your will or your way to try to fulfill our desires because of our impatience or even out of shame. But Lord, we want to follow after you and be content in you. And we pray that prayer. I pray that for all of us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take an opportunity to reflect and allow the Holy Spirit to speak.